got me fired up now. So excited you're here online. So excited you're here. Otis, excited that you're here. Uh, I want to remind you, though, that every day is a battle. I mean, it really is a battle. When I think about battle, I actually think of growing up with a, a game called Battleship. Anybody play Battleship? If you're on the chat, say you play Battleship. Okay, uh, I'm talking about old school, you know, where you try not to cheat, looking over the sides, want to make sure you got a visual of what that really looked like in the old days. And uh, again, the idea was to discover, you know, who the enemy is, where the enemy is, and if you can destroy the enemy's ships before they destroy you and your ships, thus winning the game. Now, I don't know if you ever feel like that the game of battleship is actually something we experience on a regular basis. So we're in a battle. We're in a battle every single day. In fact, I just want to ask you to self-reflect for just a second. What battle do you find yourself in currently? And you might not even realize that you're in a battle until I begin to walk through this. I asked this on social media, and I want you to answer this online. Put it in the chat. What battle do you find yourself in uh, currently? And here were the regular responses, the most popular responses. Finances, anxiety, depression, weight, health, politics, work, relationships, tacos, Finding real, authentic Mexican tacos. The struggle is real. It actually was mentioned uh, more than one time. And uh, being okay with being okay. Being okay with who I am and that I'm enough. Heard that from a lot of different gals. Uh, Every day is a battle, and every battle there is a choice, just like in Battleship. See, we battle things like laziness. Will I choose to do things, go to work, do homework versus stay in bed and just click play on the next episode on Netflix. Uh, We battle for physical health. Will I choose to not eat that extra slice of pizza, that dessert? Will I choose to work out and eat right? We battle for our relationships. Will I choose to spend time with my kids when I don't feel like it? Will I continue to date my spouse and hang out with my friends or just connect with them only on social media. We battle against selfishness and self-centeredness. Will I choose to be a victim and have everything and everyone just kind of conform to what I want in my life? See, when we don't battle, I hope you realize it always ends up worse for us. The battle is hard, the battle is real, but it always ends up worse. In other words, if I don't battle, then I become lazy, out of shape, Relationships hurt, anxiety runs rampant, and life becomes about me. Anybody else? All right, I'm the only one. Maybe those of you who are online, you can agree with me as well. You've heard it said that it's so much easier in life to tear something down than it actually is to build it up. It's fascinating that everything trajects towards what is worse, to tear something down. I I grew up in Seattle, Washington, and there was a sports arena there called the Kingdom. It took four years for when they broke ground on the kingdom to when they opened up and had some amazing sporting events. And then they decided to tear it down. I wonder how long it took them to tear it down. Check this out. Eighteen seconds. Four years to build up, 
18 seconds to tear down. See, if you and I want a chance to win the battle or win the war, we've got to understand first and foremost who the enemy is. Uh, we, under, we have to understand the root of our battle. For example, part of the reason that you and I lose these daily battles over and over and over is we misdiagnose what the root is. Uh, we think and we honestly believe, believe and live as if our battle is about our spouse, our kids, our work, our weight, our health, our anxiety, our politicians, that that's our battle. What if I told you that if that's all you focused on, you would only get so far in life. And if you think that that's your battle and that's the primary thing that you are fighting against or for, here's what I'm here to tell you, you're wrong. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to process something. And I want you to really think of this online. I want you to think of this in Otis and Barker as well. The root of all of the battles we face are spiritual. The root of all the battles we face are spiritual. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, allow me to make a case that this is actually true because I want you to find success in your life. So let's start with the reality, okay? The reality is there is good and there is evil in the world. There is light and there is darkness. There is right and there is wrong. Can you agree with that? I hope so, because you're on your way to understanding how this all works. You see, there is a theory that is out there, especially prominent in uh, America and other places today, that we are good by nature. That we are if given, if we are given the right circumstances, the right family, the right resources, the right education, then we will rightly choose what is good. The reason that we're not choosing good is because we have been wounded, hurt, not given the opportunities, or hurt people, hurt other people. You see how that works? But you need to know that undeniably that we are not good by nature. Now, how can I tell you this with absolute certainty? And I don't miss this. It's because I have kids. Absolute certainty. Because the only people that believe that are in an intellectual classroom and have not been around or had kids for many, many years. If you've ever been around or had a child that is two or three years of age, you never, ever have to teach them to do wrong. You never have to teach them to say no, to disobey, to be selfish, to be self-centered. Because as a parent, we understand that our job is to shepherd their hearts, to help them to know right from wrong, and to teach them the way that they have been made. We are not good by nature. We are actually evil by nature. We lean towards that which is not good in the disguise of that which is good, thinking that it'll actually provide good in our lives. And you know this to be true, true in your life. Stop and think about how much easier it is for you to focus on you, to be selfish, you know, to, 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 to be deceitful, to lie, to, to get it all about you. See, what this means is the gravitational force in all of our souls for all of humanity is actually leaning towards that which is more wrong than that which is right. How do I know this? You study any civilization that has ever existed in history, 
in history, and you will see without a God in that culture, it is wicked, it is evil, it is horrible, the things that they do to themselves and to other people. See, there's two primary battles As we set up this series we're going to go through for the next seven or eight weeks, there's two primary battles we must engage with in order to end up more on the right side than on the evil side. Okay, so there's the two things I want you to get tonight. Number one, we battle against ourselves. It's an inward battle. You find yourself battling yourself. That's weird. I find myself battling with me. You know that inner dialogue, you know, that you start having? Come on, Dan. Don't eat that, that second pie. Don't, don't go there. You know, maybe it's a slice of pie. I hope it's not a whole pie. Right? Now, you fight the urge, you know, that, that alarm goes off. And you, you know the right thing to do is to get up and to get going in the day. And you're like, oh, I just know. And no, you're fighting yourself. And you almost have to tell yourself, nope, it's time to grow up. It's time to get up. It's time to go to school. It's time to actually go to work. It's actually time to do those things. But you're fighting with yourself as you're going through a lot of these things. See, there's a temptation to not do good or right all the time. And the temptation is internally, and it's in here. See, James is is the half-brother of Jesus, and he writes this in James 1.13. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires, what happens is they give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Temptation is not sin. But you notice the progression, right? It goes from temptation, and then if we give in to the battle, it leads to sin. If we continually and habitually lead to sin, it will then lead us to death. Well, what death are we talking about? Death of relationship, death of progress, death of our finances. There's so many deaths that can happen if we begin to live that way. Uh, There's a guy by the name of the Apostle Paul. He wrote much of our New Testament and is probably one of the most godly and influential men in all of human history. And even he writes this in Romans chapter 7. And I know nothing good lives in me. Now, isn't that encouraging tonight? Isn't that encouraging today? That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I've discovered this principle in life that when I want to do what is right, I never be do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Anybody else? That's me. I find this all the time. And if I can admit that I'm in this battle, if I recognize that there's an internal battle in me, then I have actually a chance over the next seven weeks to try to find out how best I can fight that battle. See, I am not the victim of everything that is not going well in my life. And we live in a victim culture. Could it be that much of what you and I are going through is a consequence of our own choices that we have made because we gave in to the battle that was at war inside of us. 
Uh, let me give you one example. Uh, I know that, there, that uh, many people, whether it be you or somebody you know, may have gone through a divorce. And it's painful. Uh, you might have read the scripture that God hates divorce. It'd be true. Because every divorced person I've ever met also hates divorce. Nobody says, yay, I love divorce. God loves divorced people. But he hates divorce as much as anybody hates divorce. So when you look at that, you're like, well, you know, hey, the issue is that we got a divorce. And you're like, no, 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 that's not the root issue. Let's back it up. Maybe one or both spouses got upset in the relationship. Then there was distance. And then there was somebody else who came in. Now, it may have started out as a friendship. And then it continued maybe to an emotional affair. And then maybe it finally led to a physical affair. You notice the subtle temptation that was given outside the marriage that over a slow period of time actually put a wedge between the two that finally led to an adultery, that's finally led to a divorce. Let's get to the root of the issue. Where did it start internally? It was an internal battle that you gave into that you lost on a regular basis. Or maybe you thought that pornography was actually going to enhance your marriage. And so you believe the lie in that. And you're like, man, this is kind of exciting and good. Then over time, you're like, hmm, this isn't actually increasing our intimacy, emotionally, physically, or otherwise. And then over time, you find yourself more and more distant. And then over time, you find yourself separated. And finally, you find yourself divorced. Now, divorce is the end product. Where's the battle? The battle was way back here. And it was internally and I got to look in the mirror. See, so the first battle we face is our sinful nature. Now, the second battle that we face, I don't usually talk about here at Valley Real Life, but we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about it. We battle against Satan and the demonic forces of this world. Now, in any game prep that you have, sporting event or otherwise, you want to win the battle, in order to win the battle, you got to understand the enemy or the foe in which you're facing. So in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says these words, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. I need to understand this. There are two types of extremes when it comes to this idea of Satan and his demons. One is Satan is everywhere. I mean, you get a bad parking spot. Well, Satan prevented me from getting that bad parking spot. You know, and Satan's behind that rock. And I tripped because Satan was there. And I, you know, you know, made this mistake. And I said that because Satan's in my life. And you're like, whoa, you're giving Satan way too much credit. The other side are people like, oh, I really don't know if there, there are demons. I really don't know how real you know, Satan is. He's got the pitchfork and it's more of a cartoon kind of character. And we need to find ourselves somewhere in the middle. See, a guy by the name of John Stott said this, to deny Satan's reality is to expose ourselves to his subtlety. To deny his reality is to expose ourselves to his subtlety. So let's know a little bit more about our enemy and let's talk about that so you know that the battle that you're facing, which we're going to do in the next six weeks, walking through how do we then fight a battle in which we can win, okay? So there's some different names of Satan. Maybe you've heard of them. It's the devil, Lucifer, Beelzebub, the morning star, angel of darkness, and a 49er fan. You know, so we have, we've got, we have the whole gamut, you know, that's well, 
I was going to say Packer fan, but, you know, I, I had more fun. You know, with this one, just a little little humor, just, just throwing it out there. I need to lighten it up. We're talking about Satan and all. Okay, so here's, you know, God created angels, and he gave them the ability to have free choice. And, and, and one of the most beautiful, most powerful angels that God created was actually Lucifer. Lucifer made a decision. I don't want to be your second command. I want to be the big cheese. I want to overthrow God. Tried to revolt. God says, nope, that ain't going to happen. And so Satan is a fallen angel. That's what Satan is, you know? And so uh, understand this, that this last week was interesting because I was having a conversation with my daughter and of all things, you know, um, she just brought up, she goes, daddy, where did Satan come from? I'm like, oh, we need to have some counseling. It's not normal questions that I usually get, you know, but I said, I said, well, Satan was an angel. He was? So daddy was super powerful and, and wanted to overthrow God. And she just said to me, she said these exact words, why would he want more power? He has so much. And I said, well, honey, even though you have a lot, do you tend to always want more and more and more? She goes, yeah, but I'm not Satan. I'm like, you're right. <laughs> Glad we got that straight. That's important. <laughs> Revelation 12, 7 to 9 says, then there was a war in heaven. It says, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels, and the dragon lost the ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, the one deceiving the entire world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. So that's what we find, you know, in the first one of the, one of the, the earliest references of where it started and where it came down. Okay, there's other references as well. Then we find, you know, a Satan as the serpent in the garden. He's the one that's there that's tempting Eve. Again, didn't cause Eve to sin. Eve had to make the battle and the choice. Will I follow God's path or will I follow what I'm being told by the serpent? She listened to herself. She listened to the serpent and she chose poorly. We see Satan show up again to test Job's allegiance to God. And God allows, you know, Satan to, to engage, you know, in doing some awful things into Job's life to teach Job a lesson. And then we see Satan shows up, the temptation of Jesus. And we'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. Now, you need to understand that demons are real and they can inhabit both people and animals. Believe you me, I had a gerbil that I'm convinced was demon-possessed. Every time you picked up this gerbil, it bit you so you'd bleed. And I was like, why is this creature, you know, get behind me, Satan. Anyway, seriously, we see Jesus so many times, so many times, because, and I think we pass over it because it's so unfamiliar for us as educated Americans, but we see it time after time after time, how we cast out demons, cast out people with evil spirits. So many miraculous times that it happened. One of the most famous was when there's this guy who's hanging out in the tombs and he's cutting himself and Jesus, you know, comes upon him. He falls at his knees and he says, you know, hey, have mercy on me. Get away from me. And Jesus says, who are you? And the, the demons inside said, we are legion for we are many. And they said, please don't kill us. Please don't cast us to the abyss. Send us to the pigs. She says, okay, so there's, this, there's these, so many pigs that were nearby. So it goes into the pigs and the pigs run off the cliff and they all die. People freak out. They come down and you think they would start worshiping God. They're like, Jesus, go away. They're so freaked out about what's taking place. And yet this guy was set free. James, the brother Jesus, even mentions this. says, hey, you believe in God? That's good. That's good. Even the demons believe in God, and at least they shudder. At least they have some fear. 
So we have to have more than even belief. So we see this as mentioned over and over and over, but we don't want to talk about this a lot. In fact, Satan enters Judas at the very end to betray Jesus. Luke 22, verse 3, it says, Then Satan entered into Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12 disciples, and he went to the leading priests and captains of the temple guard to discuss the best way to betray Jesus to them. Wait, can Satan really do that? Can he just come upon a person? We're going to talk about that in the next several weeks. Now, how come we don't see this in our society anymore? Because uh, if you've ever been to third world countries and other places, you see some pretty whacked out stuff. And you're like, okay, there is something beyond the realm of physical probabilities, possibilities to take place. Why don't we see it in America as much? Because in America, we have psychological names for it. And I'm not saying in all instances, do not misquote me. But there are some people, some people who've been given a label of split personality disorder or bipolar who may in fact have something else besides them inside of them. But we want to label it. We've got to put it in a scientific box. More proof text. If you've ever seen some of the heinous crimes, some of the worst of the worst, and you start digging in and people want to plead something called insanity, that they literally can't remember that they did some of the things. Go back to the Columbine shootings when those start taking place in our country. And you start saying, okay, there was something more that was there that was taking place at the Sandy Hook Elementary, you know, or all those heinous crimes. And you're starting to see that there's something else that people are giving themselves to, that they're being controlled by, that they're allowing to reign and rule in their lives. Here's what you need to know more than anything else. Satan is a deceiver and he's a liar. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen 14 says, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they will get the punishment that their wicked deeds deserve. Or in John 8, 44, Jesus is talking to these Jewish people who think, you know what? Our heritage, our father, our connection, it's through Abraham. We're connected to God. We're solid. And Jesus throws at them these words. For you are the children of your father, the devil. And you love to do the evil things he does. Well, what does he do? He is a murderer from the beginning. He's always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character. For he is a liar and he is the father of lies. Oh, just as a side note. When I first typed that, I actually wrote father of flies. Instead of lies. And then I started thinking, yeah, he probably is the father of flies because they're from the devil as well. You know, that was just my own sick humor. Here's the key when it comes to Satan and his forces. And we see most displayed in the lives of others. Satan and his forces are our enemy, not people. Satan and his forces, and this is where we don't get to the root, which is why I'm saying everything, whether it's internal or external, is based spiritually. First Peter 5, 8 says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And back to verse 12 in Ephesians, it says, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. We're not. We're battling the principalities behind those things. Here's why this is important. We're going to spend the next seven weeks walking through how do we engage in this battle, the internal one and the external one. 
The Apostle Paul is writing to this church in our New Testament Bibles. We call it the book of Ephesians, but it's to the city of Ephesus. And you can reread that this week in Acts chapter 19. When the Apostle Paul first went to Ephesus to preach preach this good news, oh, he got a response, but it was mostly opposition. He was run out of the synagogue by unbelieving Jewish leaders. He was mimicked by Jewish exorcists. He was threatened by the silversmiths whose idol-making business was suffering because of Paul's misery. And most importantly, because it was in a cult-ish town where they worshiped and served Satan that we find this story. See, there was a group of Jews that was traveling from town to town, and their purpose was to cast out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this, but one time they tried it. Here's what happened. The evil spirit replied, I know Jesus. And I know Paul, but who the heck are you? Then the man with the evil spirit (laughs) leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. Sorry, that's where my eyes start cracking up. I don't know why that's funny. (laughs) But the story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus, you know, to the Jews and the Greeks alike. And what happened is a solemn fear, it says, descended on the city in the name of the Lord Jesus is greatly honored. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. And then it says this, a number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. So the message about the Lord spread wildly and had a powerful effect. See, if that's our battle, if our battle is internal, and if we're battling the principalities and not people, and it's real out there as much as God is real and his angels are real and his word are real, then how do we arm ourselves? How do we armor up? Romans 7, 28, the apostle Paul answers the question, who will save me from this body of death? Thank God. The answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. That's the answer. See, the greatest strength and power in battle, because it's a spiritual one at its root, it's got to be the Lord. Good luck trying to fight without him. In Ephesians 6.10, he says a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. It's not the amount of strength It's not the amount of strength that we have, but only the source of where that strength comes from that makes us powerful. It's not the amount of strength that we have. Like, for example, how effective is a light lighting your room without electricity? All right, that's kind of like what we are. We're the light bulb and we're going around trying to, you know, create light. Look at all this light I'm trying to bring. I'm trying to, and I'm working harder with my light. And you're just like, no, you're just a bulb. Nothing. But all of a sudden, you connect to a power source and the light shines incredibly bright. God is that power source. See, Romans 8.31 says, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? If you're not yet a follower of Christ, could this, just, just think about it with me for just a second. Could this possibly be the answer that you're looking for in the battles that you're fighting on a regular basis? 
You've been trying to do it in your own strength and your own power for so long. And you find yourself defeated more and more and more. Yet there's a different path. And maybe you are a follower of Christ and you're still relying on your own strength and your own power. Here's what I know. When I do it by my strength and my power, it's like a New Year's resolution. It lasts about two weeks and it fades off. And I don't think I'm alone in that. So how do we do this? How do we find ourselves on the winning side of battles? The key is going to be put on the armor of God and we're going to stand firm. So I want to invite you to come back these next seven weeks in this time of uncertainty, in this time of weakness, in this time of difficulty to recognize where is the battle really and how do I have the strength to find it, to fight it. In fact, as our next step, our closing, figure out this week, can you take just a moment this might be in your small group. You can put this in the chat, you know, online. This might be in a conversation. If you're used, it might be just before you even go out, circle up before you go out and play, you know, outside. Figure out what your greatest battles are. Figure out what your greatest battles are and get to the spiritual root of where that's coming from before next week. Try to figure out, okay, what are the battles that I find myself in on a regular basis? And then can I peel it back and find out what the root is? Weight loss is not the root. What is it? Get underneath it. Stress is not the root. What is it? Get underneath it. Your marriage issues is not the root. What is it? Get underneath it. And then when we get to that point, you'll know what the true enemy is, and we're going to arm you up in order to have to face it and battle it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity that we have in you. Lord, to face our great enemy, Satan, and his demons. It's real. And we also know the real sinful nature that we battle from within. Help us over these next seven weeks to have the strength that only you can provide. And God, I pray for anyone right now who's watching online, who's at Otis, or who's here at Barker, that you would just help them with their pain and battle right now. Listen to them as they cry out to you, knowing that you are the God of victory, that we can find victory in your name, in the name of Jesus. Amen.